Good morning, everyone, and good morning to the new family that are here. Um, so today, uh, we've been in Isaiah for, I think this is the third week now. Um, and so today we're focusing on Isaiah 50 verses 1 to 3, which I will read. Um, I think it's going to come up anyway. So if you have your Bibles up or the version that you like to read, you can obviously pull that up, Isaiah 50. Thus says the Lord, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. So I just want to read that again in the New Living Testament. Was your mother sent away because I divorced her? Did I sell you as slaves to my creditors? No, you were sold because of your sins, and your mother too was taken because of your sins. Why was no one there when I came? Why didn't anyone answer when I called? Is it because I have no power to rescue? No, that is not the reason. For I speak to the sea and make it dry up. I can turn rivers into deserts covered with dying fish. I dress the skies in darkness, covering them with clothes of mourning. So the focus um, for today, of course, is just one to three. And what is the context here? The people of Israel are in exile. Um, many of you would probably understand the story of the Israelites and their time in exile. And the people of, of, of um, Israel in exile are comparing themselves to a divorced woman. Um, they are essentially behaving and maybe even speaking as if they have been divorced. They are a divorced wife. And why that's significant is because back then, um, in that time under that law, the only way that a woman could leave her husband is if he gave her a certificate of divorce. So she would then leave his covering, his provision, um, and then be able to remarry and come under the protection and provision of another man. And actually you would have been ostracized at that time if you were a divorced woman as well. And so the significance of the rhetorical question um, that, that, you know, God is asking in this time, which is um, in verse one, was your mother sent away because I divorced her? He's giving this rhetorical question because they're behaving as if he doesn't care. He doesn't love them. They've been abandoned. Um, they've been left to ruin because oftentimes if in that day, and by the way, in that time, only a man could give a certificate of divorce. A woman could never leave. It was only if the man chose to give that certificate of divorce. And so the, the Israelites in exile are sort of acting like they have been abandoned by God. They've been left to ruin with no provision and no protection. Um, and uh, so God's asking this. The Lord interrupts this thinking by challenging them with this rhetorical question. And he says, where is the certificate of divorce? With whatever it is that you're saying. And obviously, we don't have that dialogue. But the fact that there's this rhetorical question, it's like, okay, well, did I give that 
divorce certificate, produce it, produce the certificate, show it to me, show me that I divorced you. But Israel can't do that, of course, because there was no certificate of divorce given to them, you know, as a bride or as a wife in this situation and God being the husband, they can't do that because God never did it. And why this is important to recognize is that God cannot divorce those with whom he has taken into his covenant. So the Lord has made a covenant with Israel and therefore he cannot divorce them. He cannot abandon them. He cannot leave them in that way. And I suppose it's very similar to if a, like a young daughter um, was misbehaving or disrespectful or rude, dishonoring to her father. Um, he says, you know, go to your room for the rest of the evening, right? So now they're in this, if you picture like a big house and this young daughter is in a room somewhere and the father is somewhere else, the daughter isn't an orphan because he's, he said that. It's because of her disrespect and dishonor that she's been put away into this room to think about her actions. It's also because the father, by allowing the disrespect and the dishonor, is, is almost um, approving of it. So he's like, I don't approve of this behavior. So I'm going to put you away into that room. You stay in that room for the rest of the day and think about your actions. But it doesn't mean that that daughter is an orphan. It doesn't mean that that father doesn't love his daughter. And so this is the dialogue that's going on here in verse one. So verse one continues with another rhetorical question. Did I sell you as slaves to my creditors? No, you were sold because of your sins and your mother too was taken because of your sins. God is saying to his people, you're in this situation because of your own sin. It's your own fault. God was not at fault for people's for the people's problems. It was their sin that brought them into exile. And Jerusalem, the the mother city of Judah was destroyed and the people of Judah were taken into exile. So this is the context of what's happening and there's a um an Irish biblical scholar who has given like a really interesting quote, which I really liked when I was reading about this. And he, he talks about divorce is accusing unfailing love of failure. So a divorce is accusing an unfailing love of failure, uh, an unfailing um, love of failing. And slavery accuses sovereign power of weakness and sovereign resources of inadequacy. So here you have these people potentially complaining and moaning um, and accusing sovereign God of potentially being weak, that, that he cannot take them out of this situation, or potentially accusing um, God of not having the resources or an inadequate amount of resources to take them out of this situation. But the truth, however, is very different. Um, for it's all a matter of due reward of their sin. And um, it's unfortunate that um, it's gotten, the way that it, it, the rhetorical question is asked is like, wow, like you really think these things, you aren't taking responsibility. So I'm going to ask you, have I done this? Have I done this? Moving on to verse two, why when I came, was there no man? Why when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for a lack of water and die of thirst. The people did not respond to God's um, repeated call to trust in him and repent of their sins. The people did not respond. They were deaf and they were stubborn. 
And we see this if we look through Isaiah. Obviously, if you go back to all the, 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 the where it's written about them, you can look into this. But Isaiah 6 verses 8 to 11 um, it won't come up, but I'll read it. Isaiah 6, verses 8 to 11, it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? That I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. So the Lord has sent a prophet. You know, there's this is a, a prophetic message, a prophetic warning to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate place. So the Lord came and called the people through the prophets, but they did not respond. And then in Isaiah 65, the Lord says, I was ready to respond, but no one asked for help. I was ready to be found, but no one was looking for me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that did not call on my name. All, all day long, I open my arms to a rebellious people, but they follow their own evil path and their own crooked schemes. Um, all day long, they insult me to my face by worshiping idols in their sacred gardens. They burn incense on pagan altars. And obviously back then, um, you know, worshiping a physical built idol or um, offering a burnt sacrifice on a physical altar was a, a, a very a normal um, example of idolatry, but actually idolatry today, it looks a little bit different. Of course, many um, people do still burn incense. If you've been to certain countries, you'll see they still burn incense in front of their houses and things like that. But today, especially in the West, it's more of like our own idols are like um, our hobbies or our obsessions or our social media phones. Um, anything that elevates itself above the Lord is what would idolatry be in this day. But back then it was, they were literally worshiping false idols and for, and false gods and offering, um, burnt offerings onto altars. So verse two continues, why was no one there when I came? Why did, why didn't anyone answer when I called? Is it because I have no power to rescue? No, that is not the reason. And then this is the part that's really clear here. It says, for I speak to the sea and make it dry up. I turn rivers into deserts covered with dying fish. In these verses, um, in verse two, the Lord is speaking about the parting of the Red Sea. The Lord is reminding these grumbling Israelites in exile that I literally parted a sea for you to walk through. I parted a sea where because the water was gone on that path, there were dying fish to tell you how powerful I am that I was able to split the sea just for you to have safe passage through. He's reminding them that I have the power to rescue. You just aren't turning to me. I'm reminding you. It's like, how easy do you forget of what I've done? And I'm reminding you here. Um, and, and you can read about that in Exodus 14. And then finally in verse 3. He's, um, it says, I clothe the heavens with blackness. That version says, I dress the skies in darkness, covering them with clothes of mourning. Um, heaven is in mourning because of the sin and unbelief of God's people. He literally 
one example, he did many things, but one of them was splitting the Red Sea. How easy did they forget? How easy did they succumb to their unbelief and um, chose not to follow him and chose to live in their own sin? So just to, sum- just to summarize what, is, what verse 1 to 3 is saying is that God does care and he lovingly confronts the people who doubts his care for them. So the fact that God did not care, and and again, this is specifically about the the Israelites in exile, but this is also a message for us because we're the readers, right? We can take away a message for ourselves that God does care and will lovingly confront the people who doubt his care for them. Um, And I gave you that example of the father-daughter. So if you in your situation are the Israelites um, and you feel like God doesn't care, and the Lord is reminding you, I do care, but I will lovingly confront um, your sin and I will lovingly do what I need to do because of your sin. Um, and then second point in summary is that God does care um, and loves you and reminds his people of his power. So once again, he's saying this to the Israelites, but we can take this away for ourselves, which is I love you. I care about you. And I'm reminding you of my power. I'm reminding you that I was able to split the Red Sea. But in our situations, I'm sure if we stopped for a moment and wrote down what the Lord has done in our lives, the healings, um, the power, the breakthrough, the provision in your life, in the lives of other people in this community, that the Lord is powerful. He cares enough and he's powerful to remove you from the situation that you're in. And the third point to summarize these three verses is that our own disobedience and decisions to sin can be a valid reason for why we experience the challenges that we experience. There's many things that are unjust in this world. Like, for example, what's the burnings in Hawaii, losing your home, losing everything, um, which you cannot explain because that was a a fire. It was the climate, um, etc. But there's challenges that we go through because of our own sin. There's consequences that we are living in right now because of our own sin. So for example, if we go back to that daughter um, who has been, who's in her room by herself and has been told by her father to stay there because of her disrespect and dishonor, maybe she's missing out on a really fun experience with the rest of the family on the other side of the house because she's been asked to stay in her room. She's probably feeling angry, isolated, rejected, sad, all sorts of emotions. Um, but that was all because of what she chose to do. And so, um, summarizing these three verses is that our own, our own disobedience and decision to sin can be a valid reason for why we experience the challenges that we experience. And so this is going to be, um, a quick preach. Um, I'm going to, um, speak about, um, our response, um, So the first response that we can make when reading this um, is that we can go away, all of us, and study the new covenant that we are in and what that means in our lives. Um, Because the new covenant, if you didn't know about it before, is that um, is the promise that God makes um, with mankind that he will forgive sin and and he will restore communion with those whose hearts believe in his son, Jesus Christ. So I'll repeat that again. The new covenant is the promise that God makes with mankind that he will forgive sin and restore communion with those whose hearts believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe me, 
John 3.16 backs me up. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The second way that we can respond to this is that we can remember the power of God that he's and that he's always waiting for your return. Remember the power of God to redeem your situation, heal your situation, repair what seems impossible to repair, fix and provide for you in a way that you never imagined. Remember the power of God in the scripture and in the lives of those around you and even in your, in your maybe even what God did in your life a year ago. Remember um, how powerful he is and that he's waiting for your return. John 14 verse 6 it says Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me John 15 verses 4 to 11 which is one of my favorite verses it says abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides on the vine neither can you unless you abide in me Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does abide in me, he does not abide in me. He is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask um, you, you ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And I really like that part in John. It says, abide in me. There's almost like a, a prerequisite. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. But the prerequisite is abide in me and as I abide in you. It's not do whatever I want outside of the will of God and then ask what you wish and it will be given. He's saying, abide in me and I in you. Ask what you wish and it will be given to you. Um, and in verse eight, again, I'm still in John 15. It says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, um, patience, kindness. I mean, the fact that people in this world, despite their circumstances, have joy, which is a fruit of the spirit, is likely because they're abiding in Christ, um, which is amazing because joy is free, right? Um, and just to close in, in John 15, it says, as the father loved me, I also have loved you abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And finally, the last thing that we could res we could um, respond is to acknowledge our sin and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal um, the sin that most of us know of the sins that we commit or the sins that we habitually struggle with. But there's also sins that we don't know about because maybe we're desensitized to it. So ask the Holy Spirit for the sin that you don't even know is sin in your life. Um, the things that we do that we don't even know are sin is that we can ask the Lord for the sins that we are blind of and ask and we, and repent of them sincerely and seriously repent of them. Isaiah 59, it says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to call to, to, too deaf to hear you call. The Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sin that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen. 
And so I want to end this time with maybe like five or 10 minutes um, for our own reflection. Um, we're going to focus on Psalm 51. Um, uh, um, and just to give a little bit of um, encouragement for the power in Psalm 51 is that I personally think that it is spiritual warfare using Psalm 51 to pray because there's Psalms like Psalm 35, you know, um, what does it say? It says, uh, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me, fight against those who fight against me, take up shield and buckler and rise to my aid. If you're going through tragedy, it's very easy to use Psalm 35 to pray as spiritual warfare. But actually, Psalm 51, um, which I, I'm hoping we can all, you know, open our Bibles and focus on for the next 10 minutes, is um, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Have mercy upon me. The, the, the stuff in Psalm 51 is very much spiritual warfare. There's so much that can happen when we choose to turn from our sin. There is so much protection in Christ when we turn from our sin and ask for mercy from the Lord. And so I'm hoping that we can, um, if Grace can come up, um, um, to, to just take some time. It's too big to put on the screen. So, um, just use your phones or your Bibles to look at Psalm 51 and, and read it to yourself. Use it as a prayer point um, over your own life um, so that we can all go away from this um, service today, having had a renewed spirit in the Lord and ask for forgiveness for our sin. And so I'll just close in prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you for um, your word. I want to thank you for what we have the privilege to read, um, what you have said to the Israelites in exile. I want to bless your name, O God, and I want to ask you for um, mercy over all of us today. I ask that you would help us to have a soft heart to your word and, and respond to you and not shut you out. I pray, God, that you would enable us to read Psalm 51 and genuinely use it as a prayer for, for, for the transformation of our own lives. Father, we pray that you would bless us, O God, as we choose to choose you this day. We pray, O God, that as we choose to abide in you this day, that you would abide in us once again, that maybe we are in a, a, a not so great intimate relationship with you, but that we would leave today with an intimacy that we've never experienced before in you. In Jesus' name, amen.